Today we're going to be looking at uh, the parable of the shrewd manager, or the dishonest manager as it's sometimes called. It's in Luke chapter 16. You can turn there to get yourselves prepared. We're going to be working at it uh, chunk by chunk as we go through it. Um, But before we go and dive into it, trying to think if you've if you ever had an experience you know i've had these before hopefully you have in your bible study your personal study or maybe attending a sermon where you're kind of sitting there minding your own business reading the word of god being a good christian feeling pretty good about yourself you know like i'm doing my duty i'm here i'm i'm in i'm engaged feeling uh feeling like you're doing you know christianity right being a good disciple and then you come to a verse and you're like hey i don't I don't like that verse. That one doesn't. That one doesn't make me feel good. That one. That one's making me have to think about my life and what I'm doing and which way I'm going. And then it starts to like gnaw at you a little bit, and it and it gets to you a little bit under your skin, unlike the other verses haven't done to you. You know, maybe you've been going through up to that point or the passage or the topic. Um, to be frank, that's what this passage did to me one day when I was teaching a Sunday school class here, one of my first ones. I was going through the parables, and I was mid-course. you know, course. I was churning along, you know, going nice and good. I got this. I got the pattern. I'm in the flow. I'm, you know, week seven or eight. And then I came to this one, and it kind of brought me full stop. And that was probably like six or seven years ago now, and frankly, it's been gnawing at me ever since. Um, I've touched it here or there. Um, but like I do to a lot of verses that kind of bother me, I ignore it, you know, to be frank. and Or I excuse it. I look for loopholes. I try to keep it at arm's distance. You know, I don't want to quite dive into it because I know if I do, there's going to be repercussions for it. And it's on money. And it's actually good that I'm not serving in any official capacity here because I can talk about money a little more freely because I get nothing out of it. Um, and hopefully by the end of this, you know, sermon, you'll see, I don't want any of your money. Um, I got enough problems um, as it is. That's, that's for you to deal with. Um, but as I came across this, and it got to me, and, you know, I looked to ways to excuse it, move past it. I just want to figure it out intellectually, you know, all right, what does it mean to them, you know, or to others, you know, not so much for myself. And I do this with a lot of passages. Um, so like in Acts 4, uh, 32 through 35, there's the example of the early church. And the early church, it says, came together, and they shared everything they had, treating nothing as their own. And I read that, and I'm like, glad I'm not in the early church, you know? And it's like, I don't have to deal with that. That's for them, and it's cool that God worked in that way with them. But I'm not part of that, so I don't have to deal with it. Or if I would have, when I read Mark 10, where the rich young ruler, this came up in Sunday school class, comes to Jesus and says, what do I have to do to inherit the kingdom of heaven I've done all the law, which isn't true, but anyways, Jesus saw that, and he's like, I've done all the law, I've followed it all, I've done nothing wrong. And Jesus says, well then, sell everything you have and follow me. And he was sad and walked away because he didn't want to give up his wealth. And I'm like, wow, that guy had problems. I'm glad I don't have that problem because I get to keep my money because I love God and I don't have to deal with that. That's his problem, that's not my problem. And I would kind of deal with these passages in in that kind of way, which is not an example of what to do, um, by the way. But it's an example of kind of, honestly, kind of how I deal with some of these passages that bother me. And I kind of avoid the uncomfortableness of them. I don't want to get into them, and I keep them away from me. And then this passage hit me, and I still still kind of kept it away. 
you know. So as you'll hear today, as I walk through this, there's a lot of I statements, a lot of we statements. I want this to be very clear that this is not something I have a firm grasp of that I've done perfectly. I don't handle wealth, you know, to the perfect degree. It's something that I'm working on. It's been burning my heart, and hopefully I'll burden your heart with it as well. Because um, this is a call for all Christians on how to deal with our money. It's important. Jesus addresses it in many ways. So as we look at this passage, if it gets you a little uncomfortable, which I hope it does, don't keep it away from yourself. You know, Take it. Read it. Meditate on it. Think about it. Read it over and over again. Embrace, when we come to scripture that's uncomfortable, embrace it. Because that's the work, I feel, of the Holy Spirit on our hearts to transform us. So if we open up the passage in Luke 16, I'm going to pray before we dive into the meat of the word. If you'll pray with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for your word that you have provided for us, for this passage that you have given me to burden my heart with. Lord, I just pray that you would speak through me, that we would see the instructions of Jesus as clear, that we would be transformed, Lord, by the work of the Holy Spirit through the power of your word in this uh, time to come here. Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we'll start with verses 1 through 7. And this is really the setup of the parable. If you're familiar with parables, there's usually a setup that Jesus lays out, and then he hits you with a point. And parables are really, generally speaking, really about one point. Um, So here's the setup, um, as we call it, uh, where we see this shrewd or dishonest uh, manager, as your uh, translation might have it. But Jesus told his disciples... There was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him and asked him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management, because you cannot be my manager any longer. The manager said to himself, What shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I am not strong enough to dig, and I am ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do, so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager said to him, take your bill, sit down quickly, make it 450. Then he asked the second, how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. We'll pause there. And this is where you're reading a parable, especially if you've been teaching for a little bit, and you feel like, I know what's coming. This guy is about to get a smackdown. You know, the manager's going to come in and give him what for. You know, he's going to find out what he's been up to. He's going to, you know, come in, punish him. The manager's God. You know, maybe that guy's the Pharisees. You kind of see a pattern that goes through here, and you're like, all right, here it comes. The manager's about to get his. For the manager had been... Essentially, he cooked the books on his master to make friends with it for himself, right? Afterwards, he was doing a bad job. He was going to get fired. He didn't want to work. He was maybe old. You know, it doesn't really matter, but he had no plan to work afterwards. So he started to lie and cheat and make deals so that he would have friends after he lost his job. So this guy is clearly going to get punished, especially when this manager comes in. And this is kind of where I was sitting and seeing this um, the first time you know, ready to deal with it. And then Jesus completely sets this up and blindsided me uh, with this next part. And when Jesus blindsides you and makes a drastic turn, it's to really drive a point and to catch your attention. So then we get into the teachings. 
8 and 9. The master commended the dishonest manager because he acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself, so that when it is gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. And the first time I read this, I'm just like, what? <laughs> the master comes in and commends the dishonest manager for acting shrewdly. The guy who just stole, you know, hundreds and hundreds of bushels of wheat and oil and gallons of that. He takes it all, he, he cooks the books, he changes it, so the master is losing you know, his wealth, what's owed to him. And the master comes in and he commends the dishonest manager. And I'm like, what is that about? Why is this guy being commended for his actions? This doesn't make sense. This doesn't make sense with everything that I know about Jesus and about the kingdom of God. This doesn't make sense. So I went through a couple brief little practice, try to figure this out. You start reading the passage with different emphasis. You know, I reread it. The master commended the dishonest manager. Yep, definitely commended him. The master commended the dishonest manager. So yeah, because it's not making sense to me. So I got to just keep rereading it. The master commended the dishonest manager because he acted shrewdly. Then when I kind of get to that point at the end of of the sentence there, I'm like, why was he commended? Why was he commended? What was good about this? Not what he did, but for acting shrewdly. And that kind of like, all right. So now I got to figure out what shrewd means because I don't use shrewd. You know, I don't know how the last time you used shrewd in your daily life. Like, oh, dude, you're so shrewd. You know, like just not a word in our vocabulary every day. So I do what I do. I go to the dictionary, you know, or I go to the dictionary. I Google definition shrewd. Um, I'm too lazy to pick up my dictionary. Um, So having a sharp or astute power of judgment. So the master is commending the dishonest manager for having astute judgment. Like, all right, I got that in a box. You know, like, it's good to have good judgment. I don't really understand all the stuff with the oil and the stuff. You look it up, there's like usury and all that stuff. And it's really not important because Jesus is kind of hitting us with this fact that shrewdness is really, really important. That's what I got so far. It's important to have understanding and judgment of the situations we are in. All right. So, like, I'm here at the first half of verse 8, and I kind of got this wrapped up. And now i got to deal with what is Jesus actually talking about, what it means to have good judgment. What's the situation? What's the application? What's going on here? And then Jesus used more weird words that I wasn't familiar with. Um, He says, For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of light. All right, so now i got to take this next section and try to figure this out. The people of the world, more shrewd than the people of the light. So who are these two groups? The people of the world and people of light. So I look up people of light, what does that mean? And you start you know, going into looking up cross-references, things like that, and you start to see that it's a pretty clear picture. People of light are God's people. The people who worship God, who follow God, they're God's people. You know, darkness and light, God's associated with light, and that kind of trends throughout Scripture. So you got that group. So what's the other group? The people of the world? The people who are not part of God's people. You know? All right, so now I got my two groups, and I got my idea that shrewd is important. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than the people of light. And then it starts to hit you. Jesus is talking about his own people here. 
This is a correction to his own people, to the people that follow him. At this time, Jesus was talking to his disciples and his followers. So primarily talking to his disciples at that time, if you consider yourself a follower of God, this would be you, a people of the light. So we are less shrewd than the people of the world. Like, so opposite of shrewd, antonym, Google, antonym, shrewd, foolish. So the people of God are more foolish than the people of the world. That should cause us concern and should cause us to pay attention. Because Jesus is calling out his own group of people here, his followers, for not having sharp judgment or being very astute about their current situation or where they're at. So what is he calling us out for? What is he calling me out for? What is he calling you out for? It says, verse 9, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. So Jesus is calling us out for the way that we use worldly wealth. Another word for worldly wealth, money, resources, stuff, the stuff of this world, not the stuff of the kingdom of heaven, our money, our resources, our time, our talents, but really kind of focusing in on money and wealth here. Um, You can tack in time and talents to this, but this is really kind of a focused teaching on money. So we are being challenged by Christ in this passage that we are not using our wealth wisely. We are not being shrewd. We are using our worldly wealth in incorrect manners. If we were being shrewd, because he just said we're not, this wouldn't be a problem. But he says, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves. So when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. So what is he saying here? That we are to use our wealth to gain friends for eternal dwellings. So you take this and you play this idea out a little bit, and he's really talking about advancing the kingdom of heaven. That if we were shrewd, we would use our worldly wealth for advancing the kingdom of heaven so that there'd be more converts, so that when we go to heaven, there'd be people there to welcome us, our friends, into eternal dwellings. So we are using our worldly wealth improperly, or we're not using it as smartly as the people of this world who are just seeking their own personal gain for here and now. That's where they live. That's what they care about. So they're very shrewd in using their wealth for here and now. They're great at it. The whole world, anyone who's outside the kingdom of God, is very good at using wealth for advancing themselves in the here and now. Christians, followers of God, his disciples, we are being called out for misuse of our wealth. His disciples were then. And I think as we go through this, we could probably honestly say, us too. I know it was hitting me in that way. So Jesus is getting us to think about wealth in a bigger picture term here. To think about wealth and money, not just in the here and now, but to think about the life to come. See, we, I heard recently, and it stuck with me, that we are not mortal beings. We have mortal bodies, but we are immortal beings. We're really immortal. Our souls live forever. We go through eternity. We have trillions and trillions and trillions of years ahead of us. Countless, you know, infinite years. And we're so focused on this tiny little sliver of time right now that we forget about all that's to come. And as we stay focused on what's going on now and we neglect the work of the kingdom of heaven or don't think about that or engage in it, we are being quite foolish. 
when it comes down to it. And that's what Jesus is calling people out for. Being foolish and thinking about the here and now and the wealth of this world and not in this bigger picture term that Christ is calling us to. And as we get into this and we look at and we start to understand the real value of wealth, the real value of what it's worth, this worldly wealth, in comparison to the advancing of the kingdom of God, we start to get a bit uncomfortable. Because as we focus on, we start to realize that our hearts and our desires and our time is spent completely misplaced. And we're missing a bigger, higher, more important calling. In verse 9, in the NIV, Jesus says, of worldly wealth, when it is gone. In the ESV, it talks about when it fails. Our worldly wealth, the wealth of this world, will be gone. It will fail. And there is only treasures in heaven that will last as we get into this. And if that didn't make you unco- that doesn't start to make you a little uncomfortable, start to get under your skin a little bit. Jesus starts to turn up the temperature as he goes through this passage. Verse 10 through 12. Whoever can be trusted in very little can also be trusted with much. Whoever is dishonest in very little will be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? So Jesus starts to lay down this, this additional teaching that if we have been and we are not being shrewd or appropriate with our money in the advancing of the kingdom of God, things will be withheld from us. There's this relationship, this direct relationship with how we handle what's little, the things of this world, with what will be much, the things of heaven. And we think about these things, and we don't like to think about them. I don't like to think about them. Because what that does is it starts to make me think, you know, I'm screwing up, and things are being withheld from me. I'm withholding my own things from me. You know, as I mishandle my finances, as I mishandle my priorities, and and mishandle not as like just go out and blow it on like, you know, a bunch of cakes and cookies and stuff, but to mishandle it in a way that I'm not using it for its true purpose, for the advancing of God's kingdom, for the making of converts, for the proclamation of the gospel, for the building up of the church. As I mishandle my wealth, I am in turn being, I am denying myself more as God, as we handle properly, God gives more. As we handle improperly, He'll give out. He'll saying in these passages, "Dole out less." And then I start to think, well, what does it even mean? Like, what does it mean? How do I know if I'm handling my wealth properly? How do I know if I'm putting my money into the kingdom of God or not in a proper manner? So then I think about things in my life that I care about. If I want to go to McDonald's, I'll find money to go to McDonald's that day. I'll make it a priority. I'll put it in my budget. If I love going out to eat, I'm going to make a budget line out to eat. You know, whatever it is. Um, I don't care about Des Moines, Iowa, or any trips to Des Moines, Iowa. No offense to anyone from Des Moines, Iowa. But it's not hard for me to cut out Des Moines, Iowa from my budget. You know, it means nothing to me. So the things as I spend money on clearly become a picture of what I care about. And if I look at my budget, if I look at my spending, if I look at what I do with my worldly wealth, how does it stack up? How does it compare? 
How does it look? Do I spend more money? It's not calling one specific. These are just some ideas I thought of. You'll see me in a lot of these probably because it's in my head. But do I spend more money on Disney, movies, TV, merchandise, the Disney empire than I do on the kingdom of God? Do I spend more money on my vacations? Or do I spend more money on the advancing of the kingdom of God? Do I spend more money on, you know, home goods, clothes, kitchens, appliances, decor than I do on the advancing of the kingdom of God? What about my toys, my RVs, my boats, my four-wheelers, my computers, my technology? What do I spend more money on? Do I spend more money on my kids' activities than I do on the kingdom of God? Do I spend more on soccer, piano, you know, travel teams, sports teams? Um, Do I spend more on that? Do I spend more on the kingdom of God? Do I spend more on eating out, restaurants, entertainment, video games, board games, golf, music, movies, sporting events? Do I spend more on cars and trucks, the premium over what do I need to get to work? You know, there's that gap of what you need in a car. Then there's the stuff that you like to have. Oh, I like 4x4. I like luxury cars. I like comfortable things, but I don't need those. What's the premium that I spend on my travel? Do I spend more on that premium than I do on the kingdom of God? Do I spend more on my pets and animals than I do on the kingdom of God? What do I value more? My dog's haircut more, or do I value Christ more? And fulfilling the call that he's laying out here. And you can go through those, and maybe you can justify some, and there's more in your own life as you go through it and think about your own spending and what you do. And then you think, what about all of these things combined? What about all of these discretionary things that we spend our money on? If I add all those up, not just individual categories, but a whole category, how am I in my faithfulness with my worldly wealth? And I didn't even touch my groceries, my savings accounts, my beauty, my health, my fitness. There's my house. You know, let's don't, don't talk about Americans' houses because like, that's holy grail. Everything spent on the house is worthy and justified, right? We don't touch those things in our hearts. We keep them away. But how do I handle those? And you're like, Bill, this might be your thoughts. This is not scripture. This is just coming out of your head. So then I look, and what does Jesus say? If you have two coats, give one away. There's a much higher standard than anything I listed out there. And if you're not uncomfortable yet, it gets more uncomfortable. The consequences of a divided heart. So this is probably the most famous part of this passage. When I tell people I was preaching on the parable of the shrewd manager, like, what? What's that? I don't know what that is. Um, But I think you know this passage. No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. In case you have missed it, in case you got confused by the shrewd manager, in case you got confused by sons of light, in case you got confused by trustworthy handling of little things, big things, this one should stand out to you clearly. It's clear and it's blunt. We can only serve one thing to rule our hearts. We cannot serve God and money. You can't serve God and anything. And if we look at ourselves and we look at what we do and we look at how we spend our money, if I look at how I spend my money, I am very similar to that rich young ruler trying to follow Jesus while keeping all my money. I am trying to drag along all my wealth and all my possessions with me as I chase Christ 
saying, yes, God, I want to follow you. I want to be with you. I want you to be Lord of my life. But I want all this stuff too. I'm not ready to give it up. Because it scares me. Because I like that stuff. Because it's mine. I like my house. I like my clothes. I like my cars. I like my toys. You know, I like all these things. I like what makes me comfortable in this world. But we're not called to that as followers of Christ. We're called to a greater standard, a greater cause. As Jesus has gone to the cross to pay for our sins, to call us to be his children, he calls us into a different state of being, a reprioritization of our lives. Our lives aren't to be focused around the things of this world. Our lives are to be focused around Christ and the kingdom of God. We want to give more to missionaries and relief work, we say. We say we want to be more involved, but it's hard to find that money. Inflation's going up, God, things are going on, some bills are coming in, you know, but when Netflix raises their price, that's not a problem. When the air conditioning bill goes up from increased utility costs, we don't turn off the air. When the kids want to do another camp or another activity, we find that money. And by we, I mean me and maybe you. If you don't have these problems, good for you. But it's probably not true, and you're probably lying to yourself. Um, Maybe this is me working my own stuff out, if I apologize if that is, but pray for me. Um, We say we want to serve, and we fail to find time. We're too busy chasing the wealth of this world, our luxuries, the things we like. The call comes out, not personal, here's me right now. The call comes out for help at VBS. Oh, I just spent my PTO on a vacation for myself. I don't have time. I knew VBS was coming. You know, it's not a secret. We make our priorities, you know, and we follow our priorities. And as we read this passage, it cuts to us. It cuts to my heart. It cuts to how I engage and interact with the world. I want to say yes to God. I want to say yes to my salvation. But right now I can only afford 5% or 10% before tax or after tax, whatever. And we withhold and we hold back and we keep for ourselves because we're afraid what that actually means to completely follow God and to give up the things of this world in pursuit of his kingdom. Dave once preached on the passage, Take Up Your Cross, And he says, this has to mean something. Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. That has to mean something. When we read Jesus saying, do not be more shrewd. Do not be foolish. Spend your time, your money, your wealth on the advancing of the kingdom of God. That has to mean something. That has to mean more than half an hour, an hour, two hours a week. That has to mean more than church and giving being at the bottom line of my budget for whatever is left over. That has to mean more than that. We cannot serve two masters. It has to mean something in our lives. We have to wrestle with these things. And we're not going to be perfect this side of kingdom. I know that. And I'm not calling you to be destitute. You get to keep one shirt. (laughs) But it has to have an impact on our lives. Our faith is shown by our actions. That's played out strongly in the book of James. Our faith is not separated from our works. Our faith is demonstrated by our works. If we say we have faith but we have no works, 
we don't have a true faith, and that should cause us pause. Or it ca- we have an immature faith that needs repentance. Maybe you're in this room and you don't know what I'm talking about and you've never followed Jesus. You're not a son of light. You don't follow Christ. He's not your Savior. You're where we all were, where all of us are, born sinners pursuing the treasures of this world, the sons of this, the sons of this world. I will tell you that that wealth will fail. The treasures of this world will fail. The only thing that lasts is found in Christ. If you have not accepted Christ as your Savior, the starting point is there. You cannot, don't walk away here saying, if I give enough money, I'll go to heaven. That is not the point. The point of this is that our giving is a reflection of our salvation. So if you have not accepted Christ as your Savior, if you have not dealt with your sin, your sin is the things you do that separate you from God, that, divide, that require punishment. Christ took that punishment on the cross. If you believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, you will be forgiven of your sins. So if you have not done that, that is the beginning point. If you have done that, if you are one of my brothers and sisters in Christ, and you hear this, and there's things in your heart that are burning, things you don't want to give up, things you're like, I don't want to go there. I don't want to give up my Starbucks or Dunkin' or whatever it is because I'm spending too much on that and not enough on heaven and not enough on the work of God. Whatever it is on your heart, whatever you are going through, I don't know your budgets. I don't know what you spend. I don't know what you struggle with. But I bet you there's something. If you are in that group, we have to hear the call to be shrewd understand who we are, our situation, what we are, what we're being called to. And we are to repent when we need to repent. And we are to bring these things to Christ. 1 John 1, verses 8 and 10, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. I have much to repent for in this area. I'm sure I will throughout the rest of my life. But we are called to repent. We are called to be on a life, on a bent towards holiness. We are to keep pursuing God. And every week, every month, every year, we should be, we should be you know, transitioning closer and closer to the call of holiness, to the call of Christ. We don't reach a point in our handling of worldly wealth where we're like, we're done, we're there, it's done, I've covered it. I've hit the magic number. There's no magic number. The magic number is 100%, I guess, if there's a magic number. Once you're there... You'll be in heaven, I would assume. Uh, until that point, we're to keep pursuing that. Repent where we need to repent. Go through our budgets diligently. Re- evaluate how we spend our time, our talents, our money in a consistent way. It easily slips from us. It easily grows out of control. If you're here and you're thinking, that sounds all well and good, but I'm not sitting on a pile of cash or stocks or land I can sell. I don't have a bunch of resources. I'm struggling. I'm struggling in my debt. I'm struggling to make my month, my monthly bills. I don't know what to do with this. I'd say maybe your first step, quite possibly, reach out to the church. Reach out to the elders. Find people that you know are good at managing wealth because your problem is probably a spending and priority problem. And there are people here to help that are good with financial management, that are good with helping plan spending. Find someone to keep you accountable, to keep you on track in your spending. This is not a time to let pride get in your way. I don't want to be embarrassed to let people know I screwed up my money. You know, 
That's, that's private. That's my own business. Your business is between you and God. And if you need help, you need help. And set your pride aside and go get help. There's a bigger call here than you managing your pride. Philippians 2, 12 to 13, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act to fulfill his good purpose. If there's things on your heart and you're working out of your salvation, that's the work of the Holy Spirit within you. Don't neglect it. Don't ignore it. Don't keep it far away from you. Immediately in verse 14, Jesus transitions in the accounting. It's not in the slide because I don't want to spend a lot of time on it. But verse 14 talks about how the Pharisees rejected this. And then we can easily excuse ourselves like I like to do. Oh, that was a message for the Pharisees. The Pharisees needed to hear that. That does nothing to do with me. The things that condemn the Pharisees condemn us. The Pharisees are not special people in the fact that what condemns them is separate from us. Jesus was speaking to his disciples, to the sons of light in this passage. Just one last time, I'd like to read the passage before we close. Starting in verse 8. The master commended the dishonest manager because he acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself, so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can be trusted with much. Whoever is dishonest with very little will be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. If you'll pray with me. Heavenly Father, this is a difficult topic for us, for me. Difficult passages, difficult rebukes, a call to change who I am, um, what I do, what I prioritize. Lord, I know that a changed heart and a changed priorities only come through the work of the Holy Spirit, Lord. And I just pray that you continue to transform my heart and the hearts of my brothers and sisters in Christ to value the kingdom work above all else to seek to serve you above the things of this world, to reject the wealth of this world as having any value that's lasting. Lord, we just pray and we humbly admit that we fail. We fail in this often and we thank you for the mercy that is given to us through Jesus Christ. Amen.